word today? Thank you, Lord. We open up our hearts to receive from you today. Thank you, Lord, for your amazing word, your wonderful word. And Lord, we just invite you to, to speak to our hearts today in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. All right, well, this morning, uh, not only, uh, I got some, thank you. Um, starting a new series called Disciple. Um, uh, last Sunday, we, we testified and, and uh, didn't have a message. We just, well, we had a message, but it was all of y'all sharing what God has done in your life in 2019, and praise God for that. Um, and, you know, you could tell if you listen that a lot of the testimonies spoke of challenges and some difficulties and some hard things we went through last year, and along with the victories. But we're going to leave 2019 behind. We're moving forward to God's plan and destiny for us in 2020. And um, to do that, we got to leave the past behind, the good stuff and the rough stuff. As I was praying how to kick off the new year, just felt the Holy Spirit drop in my spirit the word disciple. And it just, you know, it's like one of those, like a beach ball you try to hold underwater and it keeps coming up. And so it just, I felt like this is something the Lord wants us to focus in on here at the beginning. Um, after all, Jesus told us to go make disciples in Matthew 28, 19. Uh, it said, now go in my authority and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to faithfully follow all that I've commanded you. And never forget that I am with you every day, even to the completion of this age. So if we're going to make disciples, that's what we're commissioned to do. That was not just for the 500 or so people that watched him ascend to heaven on the Mount of Olives. That's for us too, the same instructions to go into all nations and make disciples. That's true for you and me in 2020. So if he told us to make disciples, we probably ought to understand what they are, you know, and even if we are one. The standard definition of a disciple is this. Um, it's a noun. It's someone who absorbs and adheres to the teachings of another. It is a follower or a learner. It refers to someone who takes up the ways of someone else. I went to Erdman's Bible Dictionary, and it said this. Applied to Jesus, a disciple is someone who learns from him to live like him. Someone who, because of God's awakening grace, conforms his or her words and ways to the words and the ways of Jesus. Well, that's what it means. Now, um, uh, this, the disciples, um, you know, in, in the past, when, in, when the gospel spread to a, a city called Antioch, they didn't take too kindly to all these, these Jesus preachers. And uh, they were called followers of the way originally. That's what Christians were called. And they called them Christians there in Antioch for the first time. And it means little Christ. These people act like a bunch of little Christ. And it was, not, it was not a compliment. It was kind of a slur. But the church took that as a badge of honor. Oh, to be like Jesus, just even a little Jesus, you know, to be like him. And, and it, it stuck. So to boil down the word disciple in its simplest form, it's someone who follows Jesus. But look what that means in Matthew 4, verse 18 
It says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And look at verse 20. They immediately left their nets and followed him. You're doing your job. You're a contractor. You're, you're a fisherman. You're, you're a family business, Zebedee's fish, fishery or whatever. And, um, and, and this, this teacher that you've heard of before, and you even have maybe heard him teach once or twice, he comes by and says, follow me. And you drop everything. And you pick up and you follow him. That's, a, that's an inspirational story. And we see the same with Matthew and other disciples. They left their, their tax collector table and le just left everything to follow him. And we think of that, we kind of romanticize it. Um, you know, it wasn't often that simple men of trade were invited to follow a rabbi. I think if you, by a certain age, if you could not quote the Torah, that's the first five books of the Bible, then you couldn't be a rabbi. And, and back then, it's like every mother's dream was that her kid would be a rabbi. But they had to be able to imagine that, quote, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Quote it. If you could do that, then you could go to school to be a rabbi. And so most of these guys were not the cream of the crop. But Jesus comes along and says, follow me. Follow me. And they did. But... Um, you know, and it sounds like a very nice story, but until they found out some of the places he wanted them to follow him. And we're going to look at one of those today. We'll look at the, a story in the Gospel of John. Um, you know, these 12 men, they had pretty much one job. Wake up, stay close to Jesus. Wake up, stay close to Jesus. Kind of same for us, too. Wake up, stay close to Jesus. Where he goes, we go. Where he stays, we stay. When he eats, we eat. Um, what he says, we say the same thing. Um, the tr only thing is, though, the, the difference in the disciples in that day and, and us is that Jesus now is now invisible. They were following a visible Jesus. And we're following a God who's ever-present, but we can't see him. And so sometimes that's a challenge. But what does that look like? Um, following Jesus. Let's, let's look at the story, begin to pick it apart in John chapter 4. Everybody doing okay? All right. John chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus had made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. So here's the deal. Jesus and his, his guys their ministry team, they're baptizing more disciples than John is. They're kind of in the same region of Judea. And then somebody apparently is keeping score. And keeping score and maybe wanting to use that as a way to bring a division between Jesus and John or a rift. You know, hey, he's going to baptize more people than you. Or whatever. But Jesus, not that you could compete with Jesus, but he said, I don't want any part of that. So when he heard that they were saying, they were, people were going around saying, keeping score, he said, let's get out of here, guys. Let's go. Let's go to Galilee. And now look at verse 4 of John chapter 4. It says, but he needed to go through Samaria. 
And if you got a, a crayon or eyebrow pencil or lipstick or something, mark that in your Bible. Um, and um, because this verse is probably the most hated verse to an Orthodox Jew in the whole New Testament. <laughs> they don't like this. Um, it would be offensive. And, uh, and so they had a big problem with that. And the disciples actually had a problem with it too. Let's keep reading verse 4. I mean verse 5 of John chapter 4. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, fat thus by the well, it was about the sixth hour, about noontime, okay? Now I'm going to skip ahead a little bit um, and kind of summarize here. Jesus sends the disciples, they, they go to get some food. And while Jesus is sitting there at the well, a woman comes, a Samaritan woman, and he asks her for some water. And she's like, hey, you know, what, what, what's the deal here? Jews don't ask, how can you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan, for water? That just doesn't happen. And Jesus basically says, well, if you knew who was asking you for some water, you would ask him for living water, and you'd never thirst again. And so she says... And she starts um, debating, a, you know, a theological issue, and, and he says, go, go get your husband. And she says, well, I can't. I don't have one. And he says, oh, that's right. Daughter, you've had five husbands, and the one you're with now is not your husband. And before I, I'll just throw this in for no extra charge here. Uh, before we, you know, we, we, we kind of put, put this woman in a bad light, that she was a loose woman. But remember, the women didn't call the shots in the marriages back then. So that means men divorced her. Men dumped her. She'd been dumped five times. And she's with a guy now who won't commit. And so she comes at the heat of the day. Normally the women would come early in the morning to get the water. She comes after all the other women are gone. And have done their, you know, gotten their waters. Maybe she just don't want to put up with the looks they gave her or the, the murmuring and the whatever. But she comes and there's Jesus. And so she says, I perceive you're a prophet. <laughs> and, um, and they go into a theological um, conversation about where the proper God-approved place to worship is. And, uh, and then the lady kind of says something to the fact, well, one day the Messiah will come and he'll settle all these questions about where we're supposed to worship. Look at verse 25 of John 4. <clears throat> the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called Christ, and when he comes, he'll tell us all things. And get ready for the bam here, okay? Verse 26, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Not what she expected to hear. I who speak to you am he. One day, I know there's these promises in the scriptures that a Messiah will come. Jesus, you're looking at him right here, sitting on this well with you right now. Meanwhile, the disciples come back um, after going to grab some lunch. And, um, and, and I want us to look at the disciples here for a minute. Um, we usually focus on Jesus and the woman, which is fine, but I want you to look at the disciples here since we're talking about being disciples. 
most of us, and I include myself in this, we will go to extreme measures to, um, or give lame excuses to avoid pain and discomfort. We just do. We would much rather have no pain. Um, you've heard the, the old saying, no pain, no gain. I've got one too. No pain, no pain. Anyway, <clears throat> but the truth is we'll never grow beyond uh, where we are right now without facing comfort, discomfort and pain. Anyone who you admire as an athlete, a businessman, um, entrepreneur, uh, even another Christian, they didn't get where they are by avoiding discomfort and pain. It's just part of the path. Um, one of the things that I've <clears throat> noticed that when I began this disciple journey back on September 28, 1974, as a 12-year-old messed up kid with fuzzy hair, and I'll prove it to you in a minute here, um, uh, you know, Jesus likes to lead us places that we'd much rather avoid. That's just part of following Jesus. Now, I, I want you to get the significance of this. And here in Israel, the Holy Land, uh, we have a case of an entire people group going to extreme measures to avoid another people group, the Jews and the Samaritans. Extreme hatred had gone on for centuries. The Jews considered the Samaritans to be unclean, half-breeds, unfit to do business with, not fit to eat with, or even be seen in a social setting. <clears throat> um, and Put up that, the Bible map there, sweetie. Um, sweetie's my wife, by the way, um, running the PowerPoint. Okay, you see Judea here in the south. That's where the, Jesus and the disciples are baptizing, okay? He decides to go to Galilee in the north. But to go through Galilee, the most direct route takes you through where? Samaria, right there in the middle. Um, and think of them as counties, Okay. That might help a little bit. Think of these as counties, the county of Judea, Samaria, and Galilee. You know, when I lived in Rocky Mount, I went there, um, I don't remember when, but a long time ago to help start a church there called Church on the Rise. And uh, I lived in Nash County. Um, you can go to the next one. Um, and, uh, and, and, and Rocky Mount's kind of divided down the middle, Nash County and Edgecombe County. Now, it used to be, in the old days, Edgecombe was the, most, the more affluent. Most of the richer people lived in Edgecombe County, and there was a saying. That the saying was, the trash lives in Nash. You know? <clears throat> but it's kind of reversed now, and Nash County is actually the more affluent. But go to the next one. Okay, so here's our map again. So Judea, um, in the south, that's the pure Jews. Jerusalem's there. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's pure Jews. Samaria, that's the half-breeds, the unwashed, unclean Samaritans. And then Galilee, it's the pure Jews, but a little more on the redneck side. Okay? And that's where Jesus' ministry was based in that area. <clears throat> and so, this is what they would do. No self-respecting Jew would go to Galilee through Samaria. Even though to go from Judea to Galilee would be a 70-mile trip. A 70-mile trip, take the most direct route, that'd be about two and a half days walking, okay? 
But this is what they would do. Since a Jew wouldn't do that, they would opt to take a much more uncomfortable, uh, unkind um, terrain and go 130 miles to get to Galilee. And so almost twice as far just to avoid a bunch of people that they didn't like. Pretty extreme, isn't it? Now, Jesus could have taken that long route, the 130-mile route. So when it says he needed to go, um, go through Samaria, um, he didn't, I mean, there was another option. He could have taken the long way. But he took the most direct route. He said, I have to. Remember, because he's the savior of the world, not just one people, one people group. And so he's taken his 12 disciples with him to a place they had avoided all their life. Um, imagine their confusion, their bewilderment as they're going along with Jesus. And they come to, I guess, the proverbial fork in the road. And, uh, and so all the, here's the 12 and here's Jesus. And they're going that way and he goes this way to the left. Like, well, wait, Jesus... Jesus, this way, no, you're, I know you're maybe not familiar with this, but this way. No, guys, we're going this way. But we don't, we don't go that way, Jesus. You don't want to go that way. Trust me, Jesus, you don't want to go. Just follow me. You know? <laughs> now, they, he said, come on, guys. And so they follow him. Now, the Bible doesn't record their conversations. You know, and even if they walked along in silence, there were sirens and whistles and bells going off in their heads because Jesus was taking them some a way that they had avoided all their life. And so they come to this well, and Jesus is weary. He wants to rest. Now the story's about to get more uncomfortable for the disciples. Okay, remember where they are. <clears throat> They're in Samaria. He's... Go get some food. Let's go get some food. So the disciples go into an unfriendly area to get some food. You know, I don't know if you've ever been in an area where you were kind of scared or uncomfortable with the side of town you were in, that kind of thing. Imagine them on foot, you know, walking along, probably huddled together, you know, <laughs> looking at everybody who goes by them. I imagine it was a difficult errand. You know, going up to the, I don't know if they had a Bojangles or anything there, probably not. But, hey, got any food for sale? Not to you. You know, it was a tough, think about it. It's a tough errand. And some might think, you know, this is kind of mean of Jesus to do that. Kind of mean and, and thoughtless for him to send those men into that uncomfortable environment. You know, Jesus, take us back to the familiar, the thing that we're used to, the thing that we're comfortable with. You know, certainly if Jesus was leading us to be here, everything would be smooth sailing, right? Isn't that what we think sometimes? No, it's a confirmation. I was in the middle of God's will. Everything's going smooth and hitting on all cylinders. Not all the time, brothers and sisters. The truth is this. Jesus is probably going to walk you through places that you would much rather avoid, places in your life you'd much rather avoid. That's part of being a disciple, is going with him where you'd rather not go, where you've been taught to hate and avoid. 
He wants to take you right smack dab. That's part of the price of following Jesus. And then they come back. They come back, and they finally got some food. And, um, and they come back just at the moment when Jesus tells the, the Samaritan woman, he who speaks to you am, are, is he, <laughs> um, it's me, <laughs> the Messiah. And they come back just when he's revealing. And at this point, the lady gets up and leaves. She goes back and tells her village that probably she was trying to avoid eye contact with them. She goes back to tell them, come see a man who told me everything I've ever done. You know, come and see. She runs back to the village. Now the disciples, they come back. They've been on this, in this uncomfortable place on this uncomfortable errand. And they come back and they see Jesus talking to a Samaritan woman. Men just didn't strike up conversations with women, by the way, in that culture either. And they're like, hey, Jesus, how, how, how's it going here in Samaria? We, we got you some food. I don't know if it's got spit on it, but <laughs> we got you some food. Look at Jesus' response in John 4:31. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? We went through all this for nothing. <laughs> and Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. You know what? That's our food too. That's the food of a disciple. That's the food of a disciple, to do the will of him who sent us and to finish his work. God has a work for you to do. He has finished his work in you, for you. In, on the cross, he said, it is finished. Redemption is complete. And now we have a work to do. We have a, you and I have a job to do. That's to do the will of him who sent us and to finish his work. And his work is to tell everybody. Tell everybody, even those we've been taught to avoid, about his love. Preach the gospel to them. So that's, that's our food. That's the food of every disciple. But this tells me something. Jesus didn't um, have his disciples go into town to get food because he was starving. He sent them in town to probably show them something about themselves. There's something we can find out about ourselves when we're put in a situation or an environment we'd much rather avoid. So I want to give you three observations for I Turn You Loose this morning. Um, three observations about being a disciple of Jesus from this story. Number one, being a disciple of Jesus means addressing that which you would have otherwise avoided. Nope. <laughs> it's, I, I know that's not... You know, what in the brochure and everything, but yeah, that's, the, that's part of the Being a disciple of Jesus means addressing that which you would have otherwise avoided. You know, we can say we follow Jesus, but I think it's abundantly clear that a lot of us take days off. <laughs> or we say, okay, I'm not, but not there. I'll follow you anywhere, Jesus, where you lead me, except, except for there. I ain't going there. But being a disciple means following him wherever he goes. Wherever he leads us. Acts 1.8, Jesus said, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea, all Judea, and Samaria. Samaria. we got to go there again? 
and to the end of the earth. You know, when we commit our life to Jesus, you know, your spirit, your soul, are sealed by the Holy Spirit. You're, you're saved and you're safe. However, our schedule, our plans, our goals, and our priorities are not safe with Jesus. Um, there's a book um, by C.S. Lewis called The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Anyone ever read that or seen the movie? Saw the movie. Um, but there's a, Aslan. <clears throat> sorry about my... Anyway, uh, Aslan is the lion, and he represents Christ. He's this mighty lion, the majestic creature. Jesus is the lion of Judah, tribe of Judah. Um, but there's a scene where um, Mr. Beaver is trying to explain Aslan to Susan. And remember, Aslan represents Jesus. And he, 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 Mr. Beaver says, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Ooh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you, he's the king. He's not safe, but he's good. And everywhere he leads us, it is through his goodness. Even if it's uncomfortable, even if it's something we've been trying to avoid. Number two, being a disciple of Jesus means walking toward what you don't understand. Genesis 12, 1, uh, when God called Abram, it says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country and from your family and from your father's house to a land I will show you. He, he didn't tell him where, didn't, didn't give him a map, didn't give him a brochure about what to expect and all the amenities of where I'll be staying. He didn't. He just said, leave where you are and go to where I'll show you. Kind of like when the disciples said, Jesus, where are you staying? He said, come and see. Because I think if we knew up front we might not want to follow him. Our flesh would say, no, not me. Can't do that. We don't do that. But a disciple has to be willing to go without all the answers. Has God called you to something that he hasn't given you all the details and all the answers? He, just, he gives you maybe one step at a time. The path of the righteous goes brighter and brighter as the full day because he shines the light of his word one step at a time. And as you move forward in steps of faith, the, the steps of a disciple are steps of faith. That light gets brighter and brighter and brighter. We've got to be willing to walk toward what we don't understand. I was thinking about several years ago, I went on a mission trip to Honduras. My first mission trip. And our church there in Charleston sent myself, one of the pastors, and uh, one of the other leaders who was also a dentist. This was a medical missionary trip. Are you guys looking at that picture? Yes. See? So, see what I'm talking about? Big afro, big afro, big afro. Um, <laughs> anyway, so we're going there. And... Um, and Ron in the middle, that's Ron, he's the dentist. Man of God, you should 
meet this guy. Um, he was going to pull teeth. Mike was going to help him. Mike is the, one of the elders in the church we served. And I was going to take my guitar and do music. And I would just imagine as, as we're, I'm there in the mountains, you know, and uh, up there about 60 miles outside of Tegucigalpa, the capital city. And uh, up there that revival was going to break out amongst the, the natives. <laughs> I was going to stand up there and just and have this atmosphere of worship and the glory of God was going to come down and people will be slain in the spirit. It's just going to be great. And so I had all this in mind what I was going to do. So we got there, got set up. They had the clinic. They had a medical clinic, a dental clinic, and a pharmacy. And then a, a middle area that was covered, a waiting area. And um, so I get up there with my guitar. And they're looking at me like, what is he doing here? I don't know any Spanish. <laughs> I don't speak Espanol or anything, and except como strafi holy, so that's the only thing I know. It means how you been. Um, but anyway, so I'm up there, and then I'm looking at them like, what am I doing here? <laughs> you know, it just was, I realized this was not going to go as planned. And so I put my guitar up, and I went to help Ron in the dental clinic. Here's my job, because I had the biggest forearms of anybody on the team. My job was to sit behind the head of the people coming. They would go toto, which means take out all my teeth. All they ate was sugar cane and corn, pretty much, and so their teeth were all rotten, and they are all infected. So they wanted all their teeth taken out. So my job was to get behind them and hold their head and their chin while Ron pulled their teeth out. And it was nasty. It was nasty. But there was one guy who had a tooth that was stuck to his jaw, and Ron couldn't get it, so I got to pull it out. I put these big arms to work. I grabbed, I put these, like, I don't know, some type of clamper pliers thing. And I yanked it out. It came flying out, and he just went, oh. <laughs> it went and laid down for a while. <laughs> And I, I remember there was one time, there was this, there was, and by the way, the medical university of Charleston gave us um, Novocaine and, and stuff that was outdated. <laughs> so it was rough. And I remember this one guy came in and he had all kinds of stuff probably growing in his hair. And he's supposed to rest on my shoulder. And I remember I stood up in that clinic and I said, I'm sorry. And I walked out, I, I can't do this. I couldn't get that nastiness right next to me. And I walked out, I was so ashamed of myself. I walked out and I walked to this, this ridge and I just stood there and cried. I was weary, I was worn out, and I was ashamed. And I said, Lord, I'm sorry. I just could And I remember him saying, I understand, son. That's how sin looks to me but I loved you anyway. I touched you anyway. And so I went back and I grabbed that guy's head and they pulled all his teeth out. See, the thing is, I went into something I didn't understand. I followed Jesus, but his agenda was not my agenda. But you know, I wouldn't trade that for a minute. I wouldn't trade any of that. As tough as that was, I don't want to do it again, <laughs> necessarily. 
But if he led me to, I'm a disciple. I got to follow him where he leads. And that's what we're called to do, even when it's uncomfortable and it's something we want to avoid. Because he's Jesus and he's worth following with all of our heart. Number three and last. Being a disciple of Jesus means expanding our personal love limits. Look at Luke 5, 27. After these things, he, Jesus, went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, no, Jesus, don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Follow me. <laughs> so he left all, rose up, and followed him. Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house, and there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. And their scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? <laughs> Jesus, his, he is love. And following him is going to expand your love limits. We put limits on our love. He wants to expand those. He wants us to become lovers like him, to love like him. So the disciples left Samaria two days later because a revival broke out in the little town of Sychar. And so two days later, later they leave. And the disciples left there having witnessed Jesus' love for a people they've been taught to hate and avoid all their lives. They had put God's love in a box. But God doesn't fit in our boxes. <laughs> He's too big. It's too much love to fit in a box. So we're called, as a disciple, we're called to love and follow him. That includes people we disagree with. Politically, nope. Ethnically, doctrinally, people we're called to love. Doesn't mean you agree, okay? That doesn't mean you gotta take on, but you're still called to love them. You're not excused from that. Following Jesus means loving those who've hurt us or offended us. Following Jesus means loving those who even hate us. You know, there's people who hate our guts and everything else, all the other parts too. <laughs> we're called to love them. And we're called to love those who are extremely unlovable. That's what it means to be a disciple. It stretches us. Have you been stretched lately? Stretching is uncomfortable sometimes, but it has great benefits. He wants to increase our capacity. So here, just kind of introducing this subject, it might be an uncomfortable subject we're going to talk about over the next few weeks, but we're talking about what it means to be a disciple. It means it's a journey that we follow Jesus wherever he leads, even into those Samaria areas, places we've been trying to avoid. But being a disciple is a journey of obedience it's leaving behind. Remember Peter and Andrew and Matthew and others? They left behind even their business, their family business. They left it behind to follow him. That means putting more importance 
on following Jesus than anything else in our lives. We're not trying to just fit Jesus in to our schedule and to our little, we got a little nook, especially for Jesus, a little shelf we, we fit him in on. If it's there very nicely. No, he doesn't. It means fitting everything else, everything else around him, following him, putting him first, following him exclusively. It's not a casual interest. You know, on social media, you can follow someone. You know, there's really no price to that. You can unfollow them if you want. But being a disciple of Jesus is not a casual thing. It's following him even when it's uncomfortable. But let me just say this, and we'll get more into this in the weeks to come. There is no greater privilege. There is no greater privilege than to be called to follow Jesus. There's no greater privilege. There's no greater achievement or thing you will attain in your life than to be called a follower, a disciple of Jesus. It's that important. And I hope you're willing with me. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm looking at this, what it means to be a disciple myself and thinking, okay, gotten kind of slack here. Maybe this area, I'm not so much following Jesus. I'm trying to avoid something here. But I just want with all my heart to follow him this year. I want to, I want to put those things behind and put more focus and more importance on what my master thinks than anybody else. Will you, will you join me in that? Thank you, Lord. Well, with that, let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. What an honor it is that you would call to us and say, follow me. Follow me. Lord, you want to make us fisher of men, fishers of men, even men that we don't like, we, even men we've been taught to avoid. Lord, you want us to be fishers of men. You want us to follow you all the way, even to places where no one else wants to go. But Lord, here in this first Sunday of 2020, me, I, Jeff, I offer you my life in a fresh, new way. And I'm reaffirming, Jesus, I want to be your disciple. I'm willing to follow you wherever you lead me. I don't know what all that means. I don't know what that's going to cost. I don't know what I'm going to have to uh, uh, deal with. But nevertheless, I choose you, Lord. I choose to follow you and put you first, not try to fit you into my agenda, but I want to follow you, Lord, all the way. And I believe that's my brothers and sisters' hearts too, Lord. And thank you that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can do it. We can do it. We can go all the way and finish the race that's, that's laid out before us. And I thank you, Lord, that even though where we go and where you lead us may not be safe in itself, you're good. <laughs> and your, your goodness would not lead us anywhere, that your goodness cannot keep us. So, Lord, we trust in your goodness, we trust in your wisdom, and, and say, here we go, Lord, here we go. I'm right behind you. I'm following you. 
all the way. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.